I don't know how you are, but I hate waiting. While patience is a virtue, they say, it is not one that I possess in large quantities. Waiting has a very definite and a very negative effect upon my attitude. I'm ready to go, and everyone else is running late, still getting ready. I get a bit anxious, and maybe, just maybe, a little tiny bit irritable at the process. And it's not right that I'm this way, and I don't like that I'm this way, but the fact remains this is the way kind of I am. And sadly, this is true even if I'm having to wait on God. When I pray and I ask God to do something, I desire that He would answer it quickly, like immediately. And the dearer the prayer request is, the more quickly I would like it to be answered. The more certain I am that what I'm praying is in accordance with Scripture and the will of God, even more does it bother me and make it difficult for me to wait. Take, take Lizzie, for example. My prayer, since we have had her, and continues to be that she will be fully and miraculously healed. She'll be able to walk and talk someday. And I base my confidence in this prayer off the words of Jesus. He said, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you that whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Now, as much as lies within me, I believe. I mean, I have no doubts that God can heal her. I have absolute confidence that the great God who spoke the world into existence can heal Elizabeth miraculously so that she could walk and talk. And I also believe that he will. Now, when I say that he will, I'm not saying that I, I know he will, like I think he's going to do it today. What I'm saying is I don't doubt that he will. When I pray and I ask God to heal her every day, there are no secret doubts in my mind that God is not actually going to do this. I'm not certain, like I, I see it, but I don't doubt that He will. And I'm pretty sure, from what I can tell in Scripture, that still counts as faith. But despite my faith, and despite my prayers, and despite the faith and the prayers of, of so many others that pray along those lines, Lizzie will be nine next month, and as of yet, these prayers have not been answered. And while I do believe that God can heal her, and while I don't doubt that He will heal her, I do confess it has been a long eight years, praying the same prayer with no answer. As best I know, God hasn't told me no, and so I keep praying. At the same time, God hasn't said yes and healed her and brought this to a close. The negative effect that this has is that at times it erodes hope. And what this means is that there are times when doubts creep in, discouragement hangs around, and depression comes to visit. And I'm sure I'm not the only one who wrestles with something like this. Chances are we all have long-standing prayer requests that God is yet to answer. Perhaps it's a lost loved one that you've prayed for God to save. And despite all the time you've spent praying, 
and all the, the effort you've put forth into that, they are no closer to coming to Jesus than they were on the day that you started praying. Perhaps it's someone you know that's ruining their life with terrible decisions. You know, Scripture says that Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. And that the decisions that they're making are preventing them from living the abundant life that Jesus has for them. Your heart breaks because you know that the life they could have is far better than the life they do have. And so you pray. But despite your constant prayers, they just keep making bad decisions that make their lives that much harder. Perhaps there's something in your life that you desperately want to change. A closer relationship with Jesus, a deeper faith, a negative character trait that you want changed, a relationship problem that you want fixed, a sin that you want to be free from, a financial issue that nearly overwhelms you, or any number of other things. But for years you've prayed for this one thing. And for years there's been no change. There has been no forward momentum so far as you can tell. So how do we keep from giving up in these times? How do we keep from allowing the weight to erode our hope and destroy our faith? This morning we're going to look at a passage that I believe will help us and will encourage us with this. Open your Bible to Luke chapter 1. Verse 5 is where we're starting at. It's page 779 in the Pew Bibles. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 1 and verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the, God, of the Lord blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. 
And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was as soon as the days of his service were completed that he departed to his own house. Now, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. The title of the message this morning is Take Courage and Pray. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome and you are worthy of our praise and you are worthy of our devotion. Father, there are so many things in life that we don't understand. So many ways that you move that do not seem to make sense in our eyes and to our reason. And God, in these times, often our hearts hurt. Often it's difficult to keep on keeping on. But Lord, you are good. And you can do all things. And you do love us far more than we can comprehend. And we want to trust in you. Who you are. And what you've done. More than anything, Lord. We want to be like Abraham. whose faith grew stronger with time. We want to trust in your word and we want to live lives that demonstrate that you are great and that Jesus is Lord. Father, prayer is key to all of this. Today, as we look at the story of Zacharias, teach us from it. Send your Holy Spirit to open our minds and to open our hearts and to learn what we need to learn. Help us to take courage and pray. Help us not to give up in discouragement. Let us not listen to the enemy who wants us to believe you don't care and you don't listen. Fill me today with your Holy Spirit. Let me speak your words and your ways for your glory. Let your word go forth with power. Let our hearts be ready to receive it. And let us leave here today far more confident in you than we were when we came. Because your spirit has worked mightily within us. Oh, we love you, Lord. And we do thank you for everything you've given us and all that you've done. We ask all of this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. The story we're looking at today takes place in an interesting time in Israel's history. The last true prophet of God was Malachi. And he had passed away some 400 years before. In that time, God had not sent a prophet. God had not spoken to his people. And it's dubbed the silent years in this time because Israel felt as though God had kind of abandoned them. He had not sent a prophet. He had not delivered them from Roman oppressors. He had not sent the promised Messiah. God had just not done any of the things they were expecting him to do. However, God had not been passive in these years, he was in the process of getting everything ready for the promised Messiah to come into the world. And as they waited, they continued to do the things that they knew God wanted them to do. The temple had been rebuilt. The priests continued to offer sacrifices in the temple according to the law of Moses. One of these priests was a man by the name of Zacharias, who was married to a woman named Elizabeth. What we read about them in verse 6 it's kind of key to all that we're going to talk about this morning. 
And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. Now, that is a a huge piece of important information about their character. Given what we know from the Gospels, this could not have been said about everyone in Israel at this time. Given what we know from the Gospels, this could not have even been said about the religious leaders in this time. Many within Israel's religious leadership were far from what God intended for them to be. Rather than being a people that were devoted to God and keeping His law and looking for the coming Messiah and instructing people in the ways of God, they had degenerated into factions that wrestled for control. They reveled in their perceived self-righteousness. They loved to exalt themselves over others. They looked down on others that they didn't feel were as good as they were. They looked for ways to avoid obeying God's law. However, it was hard to accuse them of outright disobedience because they created loopholes that made their disobedience acceptable. Times had changed. Things were different. You couldn't expect to do it that way any longer. And, you know, it would have been easy enough for Zacharias and Elizabeth to fall prey to the mindset that many of the others around them had. But they didn't. Instead, they were truly devoted to the Lord. They were devoted to obeying God's law. And they were wanted to be pleasing in his sight. And I like that it says they were righteous and blameless. Now, this doesn't mean that they were sinlessly perfect. Instead, it means that they were sincere in their devotion to the Lord. They weren't looking for loopholes to get out of obeying God's word. They weren't trying to put on a show to make people think they love God. They truly loved God. Their devotion wasn't made of words, but of deeds. And no one could legitimately say they weren't the real thing. That they weren't truly committed to God. Despite the fact they were truly devoted to God, they had a long-running, unanswered prayer. Look at what we're told at the first of verse 7. But they had no child. Now the reason I say this is a long-running, unanswered prayer is that we're told they were both well-advanced in years. And while we don't know for sure how old they were, later, Zacharias describes himself as an old man. And he also uses the phrase, well advanced in years, referring to Elizabeth. This surely paints the picture of both of them being too old to have children by any natural means. This isn't that they were a little too old to where people didn't normally have children. But it meant they were too far along that... As far as the world saw, it was impossible for them to have children. Another reason I say that this was a long-running unanswered prayer is because of the culture of Israel. As a general rule, people married young, like really young. And children were always like the top priority. In our culture, people get married and then determine we want to kind of be by ourselves for a few years before we have children. Not so in Israel. In Israel, once a couple was married, they began to immediately seek to have children because they saw children as a blessing from the Lord. The psalmist writes, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but speak with their enemies at the gate. Passages like this gave rise to the common idea 
that people who had children had received the favor of the Lord. They were blessed by God. People who did not have children, they had not received the favor of the Lord. And in fact, in some cases, they even believed that they may well have been cursed, that God was actively against them. With Zacharias and Elizabeth, we know that they were righteous and blameless. Their lack of children had nothing to do with God being against them. It had nothing to do with him not having received favor from God. It had nothing to do with them being cursed by God. Their not having children was not God withholding children from them because of some secret sin in their lives. Based on what we see in verse 13 of the angel saying that his prayer is heard, I also contend that their lack of children had nothing to do with them not praying for children. I think it's safe to say that they had prayed long and hard and often for God to give them a child. And while I can't prove it biblically, I do believe that probably the most common prayer they prayed was for God to give them a child. And how long had they prayed this prayer? How long had they asked God to give them children with no answer in sight? Well, again, we don't know for sure. But going off the fact, the culture, they married young, and they were both well advanced in years at this point. It is entirely possible that they have prayed at this point for 30 years, 40 years, or even more for God to answer prayers and give them a child. And again, from verse 13, I believe they were still praying for God to give them a child. They had grown old. They were past the time when it could normally happen. But I don't believe they gave up. From what I can tell, I believe they continued to pray. And they may well have prayed something like this. Dear God, we know that we're too old to have children. But you are the God of Abraham who gave him Isaac in his old age. Please give us a child. For years they prayed. For years there was no answer. There was no, no word from the Lord as to why. There was no word from the Lord as to wait. There was just silence. That, that would be brutally hard to endure for 30, 40, 50 years. It would definitely be easy to let that kind of long-running, unanswered prayer cause you to be discouraged. It would be easy to let that kind of long-running, unanswered prayer erode faith, erode your hope, and erode your devotion to God. But Elizabeth and Zacharias were truly committed to God, and they continued to be faithful to Him, despite God not answering this prayer. They had an excuse that would have enabled them to be angry at God. They had done what they were supposed to do, and God had not given them a child. They had an excuse to be bitter against God. Why are these other people having children and not us? And they could have used that anger and that bitterness as an excuse to keep from serving God, to fall into the mindset that was so common in their day. But they didn't. We see in verse 8 that, while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, 
His lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. They were still faithful in their service to God. They were still faithful in their devotion to God. They were still doing all that they knew God wanted them to do. Now, at this time in Israel's history, there were so many descendants of Aaron that all the priests could not serve at one time. Instead, they served in different divisions. Many didn't even live in Jerusalem except when it was their time to be on duty. And from what I've read, each division division served for about a week and then maybe some at the different festivals. And since there were so many priests serving at so many various times, they were chosen for various duties, such as burning incense. And under ordinary circumstances, a priest would only get to burn incense, get to do the privilege of burning incense maybe once in their entire life. And as we see in verse 9, this was Zechariah's once-in-a-lifetime chance. Now, in the daily worship of Israel, incense was burned twice a day. Once before the morning sacrifice and once before the evening sacrifice. And the offering of incense, it symbolized the sacrifices were being offered up to God in worship. The aroma of the incense was like prayer that enveloped the sacrifice and carried it heavenward to the very throne of God. The priests considered this to be the highest privilege that they would have in the priestly function. So here's what I imagine going on in this time. Zachariah's got his once in a lifetime chance to offer the incense that symbolized prayers to God going with the sacrifices. And as he offers his incense and as he does his duties, I believe he was praying still for a child at this time. Probably there were prayers that the priest prayed when they offered the incense. So Zacharias likely offered those prayers, but then immediately after that, he began to pray fervently and passionately for a child. This, I mean, considering that the temple represented the very presence of God, this is as close as he would get to standing before God in his life. This was as close as he would have in his mind to having a direct hotline to God. And I believe he took advantage of it and prayed to the God of heaven to give him a child this one time. And then something happened in verses 11 through 13. It says that an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. As Zacharias faithfully serves, as he probably fervently prays, an angel comes and stands before him. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what that must have been like? Now keep in mind that the way our culture often imagines angels isn't anything like the way the Bible imagines angels. When the Bible pictures angels standing before people, they are fearsome. They are awesome. They, they induce fear. And a sense of awe in the people. In some cases, the people want to bow down and worship them. The angels are so awe-inspiring. In this case, it says that when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. He was terrified as he saw the angel standing before him. Then the angel speaks to him. And what is probably the best news he could have ever imagined. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, 
will bear you a son. You call his name John. His prayer was going to be answered. He was going to have a son. They were to name him John. Of course, if you're familiar with the gospel accounts, you know that the son that he had was John the free will Baptist. Can you imagine the feelings that Zacharias must have felt when he heard these words? Can you imagine the thoughts that ran through his mind? The, just the amazement. This must have been one of the greatest moments of his life. For all of that time, they had prayed and they had heard nothing. But God had heard them. His prayers had not gone unheard. God had not ignored them. God was not rejecting his petition. All of the agony in prayer was worth it. All the times he had pushed through the discouragement to keep serving God was worth it. All the times he had fought off the despairing thoughts was worth it because God had heard his prayer and God was going to answer his request. When I read through this, I chuckle at verse 14 because I think it's like a Captain Obvious statement. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Of course, Zacharias and Elizabeth are going to rejoice. They've prayed for this for 30, 40, 50 years. All their family, the people around them who loved them and cared for them, they knew that they had prayed for this. Of course, they were going to have joy and gladness. And something I I thought about is that besides the the obvious fact that that they were going to have joy, I think it's the idea that, that prayer, our prayer life should be a source of joy And gladness in our lives. Our prayer life isn't meant to be something that that weighs us down. Our prayer life isn't meant to be something that sort of sucks the joy out of our lives. In fact, Jesus, he said that in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you that whatever you ask in the Father, in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Our prayer to God was never meant to be a burden. Prayer was a gift given by God so that our lives could be filled with His joy and His gladness. I believe this joy and gladness, it comes in two ways. First, it comes because we're with God. There's something about prayer that increases our awareness of His presence. Now, God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. And He is not any more with us when we pray than He is when we're not praying. But there is something about prayer, focused, concerted prayer, that makes me more aware of the fact that my God is with me. And anytime I'm aware that my God is with me, there is joy And there is gladness. But in his presence, there is the the fullness of joy. Prayer, it increases our awareness of the fact that God is there. That God is here and that he hears and that he cares. And as we experience that presence, joy just bubbles up within us. I think the other reason that joy and gladness flow out of our prayer life is because we do see God answer. 
Again, we all may have that one request that God hasn't answered. But are there others that he has? I mean, God hasn't healed Elizabeth, but I can point to many other things that he has done exactly the way that I prayed it. So these answers to prayer, they, they give us joy. They make us glad. And it's because there's, there's something amazing about knowing that the great God of heaven hears our prayer and cares about us and does something because we asked him to. And that fills us with joy and with gladness. Now, one key truth about answered prayer It may be the hardest part for us to acknowledge today or accept. It's what we find in verse 15. For he, John, will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he will drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. One of the key truths about prayer and why we often have to wait is that the answer to our prayer isn't always just about us. See, there was a reason God had waited to give them a child. God had a bigger purpose in mind than just giving them a child. He He had in mind a plan for this son and things that he would do. He would go before the Messiah and he would prepare the way for the coming Messiah. Their son would be great in the eyes of the Lord. He would turn many people of Israel back to the Lord. God would work mightily through his life so that when Jesus came on the scene, they would kind of be prepared for him. And they had to wait. Because God was waiting for just the right time when he knew the time was right. And while it may be hard to accept, it's a truth we have to wrestle with. Because it's critical to our understanding how God works in the world, how God works through prayer, and how God works in us and through us and for us. And that is, God always intends on being glorified through our lives. See, everything God does in us and through us and for us has a dual purpose. It is for us. Don't make the mistake of thinking it's not. But it's not just for us. It is also for His glory. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, His name is to be great in all of the earth. You and I are components. We are the people that God will use. To bring glory and honor to His name. And the hard truth comes in accepting that God knows how His name should be glorified far better than we do. We may look at things and think, surely God would be best glorified if if this happened. But we're limited. And we're biased. And we don't have all the answers. 
And there is an omniscient God who always knows what is best. And he alone knows how to best glorify his name. He always knows what is best to fulfill his purposes in the world. When those purposes are in us and through us and for us. In Zacharias and Elizabeth's life, that meant they had to wait a very long time without a child. They had to live the majority of their lives childless. It meant they had to have years and years of unanswered prayer. With God not ever telling them they were going to have a child at some point. It meant that they would have to wrestle with discouragement. It meant they would have to deal with despair. It meant wondering why God was doing what he was doing and why God was not doing what they thought he should do. But through it all, God had his best, had their best and his glory in mind. God intended that he would be glorified through this situation. And that is the situation with us as well. God knows what's best. And God knows what will mean him the most glory. And that's the way he's ultimately always going to work. But that's not a bad thing. Because in the end, God's way is always better than our way. The way God knows things should be done. are Always the way things really should be done. And this can be hard for us to understand and accept in a couple of weeks on a Wednesday night. We're actually going to do a study on God's mysterious ways. We're going to understand, try to find out and try to understand why it is sometimes that God doesn't make sense in our minds. But that's what was going on with them. God was waiting till he knew the time was right. And then Zacharias, he does something that is amazing. It's my favorite thing in the whole story, I think. Verse 18, Zacharias says to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. Zacharias, keep in mind, he's a, he's a godly, a godly man. He is righteous and he blameless and living for the Lord. But what we learn in, in verse 18 is that Zacharias isn't perfect. Zacharias wrestled with doubts. An angel of the Lord told him his prayer was going to be answered. And Zacharias said, how can I be sure? And I know this was doubt because that's the way the angel took it in verses 19 and 20. And the angel answered and said to him, I'm Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to you to speak to you, to bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you'll be mute. And not able to speak until the day these things take place. Why? Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Despite his faith, despite his devotion, despite his faithfulness and all the time of praying with no answers. It had taken a toll. And he wrestled with doubt. And I love this for a couple of reasons. One is it, it encourages me about the reliability of Scripture. I mean, if I was making up a religion and going to write about the heroes of this religion, I wouldn't have them with flaws like we see here. They would be 
perfect all the time. And yet Scripture always includes the flaws and the failures of the greatest of the heroes that's found there. How, how awesome it is to see that. But at the same time, what that reminds us is that they're just regular folks. I mean, because let's be honest, the description in verse 6, righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. How many of us would describe ourselves in that way? Man, I, I would be hard pressed to ever say those sorts of things about myself. And it would be easy for us to look at that and say, well, well, yeah, but they're like spiritual superheroes. I mean, they're, they're, they've achieved a level of spirituality and faith that mere mortal people could never attain. And yet here is Zacharias, an angel of God is standing before him. An angel of God is reflecting his glory so much that Zacharias is afraid. The angel says, God told me to tell you. You're going to have a child. And angel, and Zacharias says, how can I be sure? I mean, come on, son. Who, who doubts an angel? Who has doubts when an angel gives you the message? Do you know who does? Ordinary people. People that are flawed. People that are imperfect. People just like us. And that's what Zacharias and, Is- and Elizabeth were. They were people... Just like us. And what we learn from this is that though times have changed, people have not. People in Scripture, they wrestled with doubts and they wondered and they sinned and they were flawed. And they didn't have a special hotline to God. Zacharias received an answer to his prayer. Not because he was any better than you or I. Not because he had a means of communicating with God that we don't have. He received an answer because God heard and God cared. See, the people in Scripture, well, they're just like us. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced fruit. Now catch the underlying part. Elijah was a man of a nature like ours. Now to me, this is good stuff because Elijah, Elijah's kind of a big deal. I mean, Elijah... He prays and it doesn't rain for three and a half years. He prays and fire comes down from heaven. He prays again. And the three and a half year drought is over. That is amazing. And again, it would be easy to say, well, Elijah, though, I mean, he's way up here and I'm way down here. But scripture won't give us that. Scripture says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He struggled with the same sort of things that we struggle with. He had flaws just like the flaws that we have. He had doubts just like we have doubts. He, he failed just like we fail. And yet he prayed and God did an amazing thing. God did it in his timing. 
And God did it for his glory. But God did it nonetheless. Human nature hasn't changed. People are still sinful. Believers still wrestle with doubts, fears, discouragements, and sin. But God hasn't changed either. He still saves sinners. He still hears prayers. He still answers prayers. And He answers prayers of believers that wrestle with doubts, that wrestle with fears, that wrestle with discouragement, and wrestle with sin. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He heard prayers then. He will hear prayers now. The last few verses that we read just describe that God did exactly what He said He'd do. After Zechariah finished in the temple, he went home. And then Elizabeth conceived and knew that it was God who had done something in their lives. So the central truth I want us to understand today Take courage. Keep praying. God hears your prayers. Take courage and keep praying. God hears your prayers. God does not answer, does not always answer our prayers in our time frame. But He does answer. God doesn't always answer our prayers the way that we expect. But He does answer. He always hears, He always cares, and He always answers. That's why He invites us to cast all of our cares upon Him, for He cares for us. If you've been praying a prayer for a very long time, but there has been no visible answer, take courage and keep praying. God hears your prayer. Unless God has specifically told you no, don't give up. Take courage and keep praying. God hears your prayer. If you've already given up, then right now determine to give up your giving up. And to take courage and keep praying. Because you know that God answers your prayer. Let's stand as our